There are a lot of people that we follow on social media, whether it be a particular pastor on a famous podcast or an author. Well, today we're gonna to be exploring how we are to follow the example of Christ. So turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter two as we learn how we could be more like our savior Jesus. Let's get into it. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason and Menace here with you, as always. So excited as we continue here in our book study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, this has been, quite honestly, one of the most impactful studies I've done in recent years. And let me tell you why. Because as I survey and look at the sexual morality that is running rampant in our churches today, and that we are no longer calling out sin for what it truly is, that is detestable, things that are an abomination to the Lord, and we sit idly by, or we ourselves, God forbid, engage in sexual immorality. I have, as a pastor through the years, counseled some very sad situations with people that I love dearly, who have done things that I will not mention, here on the podcast, obviously. But the thing is that there is so much that is happening within our church world today with, among church leadership. People that you never thought in a million years would go in and commit sexual acts that are forbidden in scripture. When you would think, as the Bible says in Hebrews 13, that keep the marriage bed undefiled. That is to be honorable. And so many people are not doing that. That, my friends, it, it causes us to grieve over the choices that many religious leaders are making. And so when I look at First Thessalonians chapter 2, even when it comes to loving your neighbor, putting yourself out there, taking opportunity to minister to the people around you, giving of yourselves, being there, being present, First Thessalonians 2 covers these type of things. It, it, it shows us how we, as ministers of the gospel, that's for all of us. That's not just for people in full-time ministry. All of us are called to follow the example of Christ, to live worthy of the gospel, to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, that we don't, we don't blow our witness to people around us. And so this whole series in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, how to conduct yourself in ministry, has really challenged me. And ultimately, my friends, you're going to have people, even if you say, well, Jay, I, I mean, by God's grace, I've been living a, a pure and holy life before him and striving to, to be at peace with my brethren and to unite them together under the banner of love in the gospel of Jesus Christ, using my gifts, not for my own sake, but for the glory of God. And yet I am still in turmoil. I have people who are out to get me. Well, remember my friends, what we talked about in this series, going back to first Thessalonians chapter two, verse three, if you feel that, remember even when Paul was defending himself in verses three through six, and he said that my appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Do you know what he said? That gave him comfort and I pray gives you comfort today as you're listening God approves of your life 
Just know that. If you are living for him, genuinely, and you fear God, and you know that one day you will stand before him, you are not to please man, Paul said in verse 4, but to please God who tests our hearts. And that, my friends, is what has encouraged me as well. And to remind all of us that are Christians listening, that when we are out there, we are not to use flattery. We're not to be greedy. We're not to seek our own glory. We're not to advance our own platform. We're not to mooch off of people. We're not to butt in and get involved in different people's business. We're going to be seeing that actually in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we are to be gentle, as we're told in verse 7, that we are to long and yearn, yearn the people around us that we want to be involved in their lives. And that's been a sign also as we talk about biblical community, giving of ourselves. And yet today, everyone's just rushing around. I was talking to a, a great friend of mine, who, a colleague who does ministry in California. And just the hustle and bustle of life and trying to minister to the pace that people are living and the vast majority of them are biblically illiterate. And so I believe that's why when Paul was ministering in Thessalonica in the region of Macedonia, he was laboring and toiling. He was working night and day and he didn't want to be a burden. He told them in verse nine, he, he wanted to be a witness, to be an example as he was, you know, spreading the gospel. And that's why he says, you are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. And that right there hits me. You think of all the scandals and all the things that are happening today that you and I are hearing about. Paul was a holy and righteous and blameless man. His conduct towards people that he was ministering to, to, to was of the utmost. It was highly regarded. And now people that you and I have looked to, that we have followed in their teachings, and again, rightly assuming because some of these people you don't know personally, or even if you go to a church, uh, the studies are showing that that most Christians who regularly attend a church are not that close, don't really know personally their pastors, their shepherds. And so I pray that as we just have these heart-to-hearts here on the podcast, that this can help you guys in your daily walk to not just challenge you, but to encourage you to remember that we are to be a witness of God and that our approval comes from him. And that as Paul talks about in verse 13, that we are to constantly give thanks to God and to be an example as we preach the word of God, uh, which is at work in the believers, that you can see the fruit. Remember, a lot of that came from the example that Paul laid out for them. And you and I know that to be true. Thousands of years later from when Paul wrote this letter, that you, you can be doctrinally sound in terms of what you believe according to scripture, but let's say you're inconsistent in your behavior. Your behavior doesn't match your beliefs. Well, that's hypocrisy. I'm writing a chapter for Arizona Christian University about millennials when you're charting them now in their 30s and many of them who are parents of preteens. And the one thing that I demonstrated was we see this decline, or as I call it, a depleted faith, is because the first thing that we see is an inconsistency, a lack of transferable faith from their parents to the millennial generation. And now that's happening, of course, with them raising Gen Z. And when you have inconsistency, it leads to 
illiteracy, which leads to disparity. So my friends, the key thing as we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 2, and this is why it hits hard for me, but it excites me and encourages me as I pray it does for you, is that there's still hope. If we have more Christians who take what we believe and you live it out, God can do great things in and through you. So now we transition to this next phase in our study of our conduct before God and others is that we are to follow the example of Christ. You know, I just did a two-part series on my other podcast show with Edify Podcast Network with Christian Post. And we, well, I had a friend of mine come on, Warren, who deals with church scandals and evaluates transparency and accountability with, with ministries, whether they be a local church or a big uh, national or international nonprofit ministry, Christian organization. So, you know, I don't know when that's going to be dropping. So check that out sometime, or you can go to my YouTube channel, just punch in on the search, Jason Jimenez, pastor, Jason Jimenez, apologist. My channel will come up and hopefully it's there, or you can go to edify.app or wherever you get your podcast, just like this one and check that out on challenging conversations podcast. But when we were talking about these scandals, one of the things you see is that they're not being imitators of God, right? They're not being good examples of Christ. And it's over at that point, my friends. Again, I don't care what seminary you've gone to. I don't care how many books you've sold. I don't care if your books are solid, that your preaching is solid. If you are not living worthy of the gospel, remember the pulpit, I, and I was just telling somebody this recently, if you look at, the pulpit, the time in which somebody fills the pulpit versus the time they're with their wives and with their kids and with their community. I mean, it's like 2% the pulpit. So when you're hearing a preacher, when you guys are following somebody out there, including myself, you're getting maybe 2% of their life. What about the other 98%? So this is important, you guys, when we're going through verses 14 through 16 about how we are to look to Christ. In the end, we're not looking to the Mark Driscoll's. Remember? We're not. And that, and that, how did that end? I know he's starting a new church. He's been for the past few years. Pray for the man. But there's a lot of unconfessed sin, pride, haughtiness, arrogance. And we go, we go look at Proverbs 6. God, there are things God detests. And those are some of them. So they don't, they don't look good in the context of a pastor when they're supposed to be humble and be a shepherd who cares more about the people than themselves. And look what we've promoted out there in evangelicalism. These celebrity pastors, these sneaker pastors wearing $1,000 pairs of shoes, right? You're wondering, man, where are they getting this cash? Where are they getting this dough? Why are they really in this? Is this a business to them? Do they really care about me and my marriage and my children? And I think, you guys, it's a disservice because we have 2% of the generation that's being raised by millennials right now have a biblical worldview. They are leaving the church, you guys, in groves because at the end of the day, they don't have biblical community and accountability in the church because the leaders don't. So when we look at this passage, we can just, you know, get into it and have a nice little bubbly Bible study and make us feel good inside and, oh, food for thought. No. Guys, we desperately need people to be examples of Christ. So when we look at this, I pray that this will impact you and that you can, again, as we've been doing, taking surveys or evaluation or self-reflection, 
not just in your own life and in your sphere within your home, but also in your church. Because if you're looking at this series and if you haven't gone through the entire series that we've been covering here in First Thessalonians chapter 2, I encourage you to do so because I want you guys to examine that and put this in context with the people that you are under and see, are they biblical examples of Christ for me? So when Paul says here in verse 14, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffer the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Okay, so this is so important, you guys, because this is discipleship in the making. This is Paul being an example to them. And as a result of that, the Thessalonians become examples to others. They model Christ so that others may follow their example. Well, they had a great teacher in Paul. So let's pause and ask ourselves this question. Who are great examples in your life who are doing this for you? Who are demonstrating how to live the gospel out? Remember, the gospel isn't just a message. It's a life. It's not just life. It's a person. The person of Jesus Christ, we're told in Mark chapter 1 and Romans chapter 1. So the Greek word, when you look at this term that Paul uses, that you became imitators of what? Of the churches of God in Christ Jesus, because Christ is the head. The Greek word for imitators is memetius. Okay, it literally means to mimic or to imitate. But get this, the expression means more than that. It actually refers to an expert artisan that models and teaches in a pattern and also in a form of practice. So here's the thing. The early church here in Thessalonica and also in Judea, right? So that surrounding region. They are not just saying I'm a Christian. They are modeling it and they're becoming like an expert artisan. So, you know, when you take a, a sculpting class or you go take a class of, on painting, you're expecting, especially if you're paying money, you are expecting the person that you're going to learn from is an expert. If you, as you know, I'm a writer and so you know, I've sat under many gifted, published, and accomplished writers. And so I just soak it up, right? Sometimes even just picking up their book and learning from them that way has taught me a lot. There is actually, you know, it's funny because, you know, when you look at some of those like um, master class courses, you know, all the people that they're getting, whether it be sports, like with Steph Curry teaching you the fundamentals of basketball or tennis with uh, um, Serena Williams or in the kitchen with Gordon Ramsay and on and on and on. I did a class with Malcolm Gladwell, the famous New York Times bestselling author, and I went through his course a while ago. Uh, so you, you, you want to follow their model of what they do. There's a pattern in what they do with how, what they've learned and what they put into practice. And that's important, right? And that's what we as Christians are supposed to be doing. Okay. So it's not just mimicking someone being like someone. No, that you are modeling, you're teaching people based on your patterns and your practice. Okay, so that's important. Now, notice something, though. One thing that people in Judea that were seeing with the, the early Christians that Paul had ministered to was they were suffering the same way he did. Now, this is interesting because, remember, Luke describes when the Jews instigated a riot 
to silence Paul in Acts 17, 5 through 10. Now, sadly, in our culture, there's been a lot of riots over issues of equality, freedom issues, poverty issues, equity issues, critical race theory issues. I mean, on and on and on we go. And sadly, people have died in these riots. And a lot of times the people who are causing the riots, they're trying to silence a particular movement or group or person that they, again, staunchly disagree with. And so this riot here was, in this case, they were trying to silence Paul preaching the gospel. And so it wasn't, it wasn't uh, too unsafe for Paul to remain in the city, so he had to depart. It was unsafe. And the Thessalonians, you know, what's so amazing is, you know, that's their culture. That's the people that they know. And now their responsibility is to model Christ to people who hate the gospel, hate Jesus. So the Thessalonians, were, they, they, had, they remained there. These are their people, right? Just like you think about the environment that you're in. But they weren't afraid to suffer for what they believed. Now, I'm not saying that was a cop-out with Paul. It was right for Paul to leave. He did what God had called him to do, and he moved on. And now it was a responsibility of the Thessalonians to reach their people. And the churches in Judea were facing early on, you guys. So these are newfound Christians, but they were already receiving intense persecution from those who were tied to Judaism. So that was the challenge that they had right off the bat. So there was no honeymoon for them. And notice Paul says, these are the people who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, verse 15, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they, that they might be saved so also, so as also to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Now, some liberal scholars interpret this section that we're reading right now, particularly here in verse 15, as proof that Paul was anti-Semitic. You may think, well, I, I, I didn't get a sense of that. Well, exactly. So when people are reading into something, they're taking something out of context, making it a pretext, and they make a doctrine or a belief system out of it. And a lot of liberal scholars uh, are showing this, this particular passage, instead of it being about being an example of Christ in the midst of persecution, being a pattern for others to follow, they want to start getting into issues around Paul hating the Jews. Well, you know what's, first off, that's flatly untrue. And I'm going to give you various reasons as to why. I mean, one, if you think about it, let's just jump right into it. Paul was what? A Jew. So you're saying that Paul hated his own family? Are you saying he, he hated his own friends? Are you saying that he hated himself? Are you saying that he hated Jesus who was a Jew? Are you saying that he hated the disciples that he went to visit and became friends with? Are you saying that he hated all of these people? No. That's, that's absurd. Two, the Jews were usually the first people group that Paul would go to and minister, minister to when he would arrive into a city. So why would he go into the synagogues where there were Jews worshiping who were in Judaism if he hated them? Three, Paul was well-versed in the prophets of old who prophesied of the coming judgment of the Jews. And so what he was doing was he was forewarning them because he cared. Four, Paul was pointing out the Jews' rejection and execution of Jesus would result in future punishment. Again, you guys, judgment's coming and future punishment is coming 
And because he was talking about these things, and these are hard issues to talk about for sure, doesn't mean that Paul was saying these things because he hated the Jews. Makes no sense whatsoever. So despite the Jews persecuting him, this is my final reason as to why Paul was not anti-Semitic, but it was a great example of Christ to his people and those beyond was when they were trying to kill him, when they were persecuting him and his companions, guess what? Paul still felt compelled to preach the gospel to the Jews and he awaited the day that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. So there was never a time where Paul stopped praying for them. In Romans eleven twenty five through 32, it says, least you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God and now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So this is fascinating, guys, because when Paul is mentioning the Jews notice he knows that God is ministering to the Jews, but notice he said that Israel will one day be saved as is written. The deliverer will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. So God will still restore his people one day. And so that was his, his, his attempt to try to win over the Jewish people. Now this term he uses here, wrath has come upon them at last. You see, this is what's important. There's judgment and then there's the wrath of God. Now the wrath of God will fall upon the Jews who reject Jesus as Messiah, as the son of God, as the savior of the world. God will reject those who disobey his covenants. God will reject those who participated in the killing of Jesus and didn't repent of it. God will, you know, his wrath will fall upon people who persistently live in a performance of life that is dictated based on their sinful desires and commit sinful acts. God's wrath will fall upon the sons of disobedience, the Bible says. Never will God's wrath fall upon his children who have put Jesus Christ first because he's their savior who are indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the verb usage of come upon connotes a designated arrival that is on the verge of being fulfilled. And that was a sense of urgency that Paul had back then. That's why he was so direct. That's why he was so forthright. Plus there were so many passages in the Bible, prophetic passages that Christ fulfilled that most people didn't know about, but God gave the anointing to Paul to extrapolate that and to make sense of it. So then at this period of time, he's showing them he's being an example of Christ. Remember what Christ endured? All the betrayal, all those scandals that he had to face, that people were making up about him, that he was demon-possessed, 
that he was sleeping around, that he was a drunkard, that he was hanging out with undefiled people, that he was, you know, touching lepers. So the, the, this, my friends, is when you look at Paul himself here and how he's communicating this message about the people who are trying to fight against his efforts and the efforts of the Thessalonians, they look to Christ and hardship. You and I are to look to Christ when people malign you, when people say things that are false about you, when people attack you, we look to Christ. Christ was attacked. Christ was mocked. Christ took on our sins. Christ committed the ultimate act of kindness and demonstrated and embodied the greatest love that you and I will ever know. The greatest sacrifice was that he gave up his life for you and for me. So in the context of your life, how are you demonstrating Christ to the people around you? How are you showing people that if they don't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who died for them on the cross, who provides an opportunity through the hands and feet of people like you and me, that if they don't accept it, the gospel message, they don't accept Jesus, where would they be when they die? Where would they go when they die? But what would life look like as they see you demonstrating Christ, when they see you sacrificially giving up of yourself, when they see that you are a pattern of righteousness, that the way that you practice in giving, the way that you practice in sharing, the way that you practice in community, the way that you practice in how you offer services and give of your time, your resources and your talents, that that can be a, a testimony that that can plant seeds that that can really create in people a desire to ask you simply this what makes you stand out what makes you so different than even my own life or the people that I call my friends and tell them I am who I am because of Jesus you do not realize and I I at times even you guys don't realize the impact that we can have in the lives of people around us. So I pray that you will follow the example of Christ. And as you do so, that you will see the fruit that will come because you are an example of Christ. My friends, be encouraged that as you go out there, there are people who are lost and there are people who have questions and they need men and women just like you, whether you're young or older, that you will sit with them and that you will demonstrate what our savior, Jesus Christ looks like. Isn't that a great opportunity that should excite you guys. We should pray every day. Say, Lord, as I follow your example, help me to witness your love and help me to demonstrate your love with those people who are around me. I love you guys. If you have any questions or prayer concerns or requests, please send us an email at info at standstrongministries.org. Also, I, I do want to say to many of our listeners out there, if this ministry has been a blessing to you and has helped you stand strong in the word and to defend your faith, and you can go and you, and you do go to standstrongministries.org and you get my resources that we make available, whether the articles, videos, or even the, the many books that I've written, I want to ask you guys, 
to do us a favor, which would be, we would count as a huge blessing to give to the ministry, to help support us. We are donor supported. So the opportunity for us to put this content out and all the other things that we put out to help reinforce biblical truth in our cancel culture because of men and women just like you giving to help us do what we do. So consider giving. You can go to standstrongministries.org and you will see the donate button. It is a secure online giving and it's tax deductible. So thank you guys for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. Thank you.